The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I already noted, I just want to own here at the very beginning of the sermon that this is not going to be one that leaves us feeling very satisfied. Uh, Perhaps two weeks ago when I preached about the politics of the church, some of us left charged up about the state of the world and what it means to be a political entity. Or even last week with a message about people of other faiths, you left thinking about reaching out to those of differing religious opinions. But today, today is going to be different. This is one of those times when no matter how hard we try, there is no good answer to our question. The lack of anything we might call good is due in large part to our insatiable desire for every puzzle piece to fit perfectly into puzzles of our lives. But that's not really how things work. And to this query about why bad things happen to good people, there exists no simple formula. There's no convenient explanation. It cannot be brushed aside, nor can it be ignored. What we bring to God today, the pondering we feel in our hearts and minds, is at the heart of one of Christianity's greatest struggles. Why do bad things happen to good people? Therefore, there is a better than good chance that all of us will leave today with more questions than with answers, and that's okay. Because who can know the mind of God? Australia is on fire. A simple search on Google, or if you're just looking through the cable news channel, you will see images from space, satellite images. The fires are so bad, you can see the flames from space. The smoke that has been created is so devastating that people on the west coast of South America can smell the smoke, having traveled all the way across the ocean. Dozens of people had died. Countless homes had been lost, and it could go on for another month. Puerto Rico had an earthquake this week. In the aftermath of the devastation, 2,000 people have been displaced. Millions don't have electricity, and fears of water and food shortages are getting worse with each passing day. One of these events is happening on the other side of the globe, and another is happening not that far from us here. What do they share with each other? Total, indiscriminate devastation. Dead bodies. Children left without parents, parents left without children, people unprepared, and people wondering when life will go back to normal or even if it ever will. But there's one other thing they share. Pastors and Christians trying to make sense of how God could allow or God would will such terrible things to happen. So there's a pastor of a megachurch in Arizona who this week blamed the fiery flames of Australia on that continent's laxity around homosexuality. He claims that if the nation had stricter laws, that if they would let someone like him come in and clean up their mess, that if they systematically murdered people who displayed homosexual tendencies, then they would be able to stop God's judgment from raining down upon them and the fires would cease. There's a group of pastors and Christians in the southern part of our country today who are angry with what's happening in Puerto Rico, and they're blaming it on the island's inability to be grateful for what the United States has done for it, as if Puerto Rico isn't part of the United States. They claim that if the residents of Puerto Rico 
expressed their gratitude to the Lord for all that the United States of America has done for them, then God would stop sending hurricanes and God would stop sending earthquakes and destruction their way. That's just in the last week. I could go on and on and on with examples like this. People trying to explain why such terrible things are happening. The two I mentioned are some of the worst, but there are plenty of others. Those who claim that God is just trying to remind us of God's power or that God is just testing us to see if we'll remain faithful. And it's absolutely untrue. Here's the kicker about all these things. Whether they're near and dear to us, whether they're happening on the other side of the world, tragic occurrences in the world. The best thing that Christians can do, other than sending money or volunteering to help, the best thing Christians can do is shut up. Is just not say anything. This unyielding desire to discern meaning, it is cruel and it is presumptuous. Anytime we, and by we I mean Christians, anytime we offer pious platitudes or trite words of comfort, the only thing it does is it soothes our own guilty consciences and it makes God out to be a monster. I mean, it is astounding when we consider how often Christians, Christians are the ones quickest to explain away a catastrophe that makes it seem like God is some kid with a magnifying glass out by an anthill. And yet the desire... This desire to use words in a time when words cease to have meaning, it totally makes sense. Because there are questions we want to have answered. How can this world be so broken with a God who apparently loves us? What kind of God sanctions an earthquake or a flood or a famine or a fire? Why does God strike with such terror upon certain people and not upon others? These questions are asked all the time by people like us and people all across the world. And part of the problem is we're asking the wrong questions. And sometimes we answer them as if Christians have never had to think about these things over the last 2,000 years. As if no disciple has ever had to sort through the rubble of a house or wrestle with a final diagnosis or bury a child in the dirt. There are moments in this life, plenty of them, when we probably ought not say anything at all. But of course we do. We do speak. We speak because... The God we claim to worship is the one who speaks creation into existence, whose divine word is the beginning and the end, who declares even now the new thing is happening. It is therefore in speaking that the best we can do is learn what not to say. In claiming that God is up there as if God is somewhere up there pulling strings, resulting in the randomness of nature's horrid violence, while also believing that we can somehow account for every instance of suffering is simply unfaithful. If we want to believe that, it forces us to justify unjustifiable things. There is no good reason a a child gets cancer. There is no good reason that a family is forced to seek refuge in another country. There is no good reason that hurricanes and fires and earthquakes devastate entire communities. What's worse are the attempts at explaining suffering as if God is responding to our own sinfulness. As if God is up there somewhere keeping a ledger of every time we sin. And when we have all of our sins tallied up and we've overflowed the jar, God has to send something horrible to wake us up. That is crazy. It is unfaithful. And Christians keep eating it over and over and over again. 
As if we forgot that when God put the rainbow in the sky, he said, I'd never do this to you ever again. As if we've forgotten that on the cross, Jesus says, I have nailed every one of your sins, past, present, and future, to my cross. The ledger has been wiped clean now and forever. And to make any assertion that the suffering of people in this life is willed by God is simply to deny the good news of Scripture. It is unbiblical. And yet so many of us believe it. Here's where it gets even more unnerving. The teachings of the church, the words, the life of Jesus Christ attest to time and time again that suffering and death have no meaning or purpose. That's a difficult pill for us to swallow because we want to apply meaning to anything and everything. For some reason, we've made it out into our minds that everything happens for a reason. That is not true. I mean, perhaps it is true to some degree. The things that do happen that are bad, they usually happen because we're the bad ones who make those bad things happen. But to believe that God specifically wills bad things to happen to people, that is just not even close to being Christian. Some things are beyond meaning. Not everything happens for a reason. And though it might pain us to admit it, that's actually the best news of all because it means that we are freed from the fear that we're living unworthy lives. It breaks us out of the captivity to the never-ending navel-gazing that we do all the time. It means that death isn't the end. And there is no better news than that. It's knowing this, knowing that the cross and the empty tomb are always waiting for Jesus, that we get this profound glimpse into how much of a rebel God is. Because rather than pulling all the strings and making every little thing happen, God instead grants freedom with reckless abandon to his creatures. And we don't quite know what to do with it. And that's the crux of it all. Because we have this desire to explain all things, to find meaning in all things, to have an answer to every single little question. And that, by doing it, we fail to see what kind of hubris that is that vexes us the most. There are some things that simply cannot be explained. And certainly not ones that provide us any comfort. We are not comforted in whatever we receive because we believe that we are the masters of our universe when in fact the opposite is true. We are at the whim of the universe. We are at the whim of random and unexplainable things that have the power to tear us down to the floor. We are Christians. We have a challenge and a gift to see the world as if seeing two things at once. To see the devastation, to see the horror, to see how many terrible things are happening while at the same time seeing the beauty of this creation. That even we could live within it. And that is no easy task. It's trying to hold on to the wonder of creation while also recognizing that we cannot live without death. And death is the key. It is the key to all of this. To all of our questions, all of our fears. Because Jesus subverts death and makes a way through death to new life. Now, this is not to deny the devastating power of death in this life or to gloss over all the suffering of people across the globe. There are absolutely things we could do right now, today, that could make the world a better place. There are things we could do today to make life better for people here and across the globe. But as Christians, we are also witnesses to the cross. A sign of death, for us, that's also a sign of life. God does not give over to the natural powers of this world, but instead shatters those very powers and forever vanquishes death's dominion. Easter 
changes everything. Easter is a sign of God's rebellion against the cruelty of the world. Easter liberates us from fearing the thing we fear most. Easter boldly proclaims that not even death can have the final word. The final word only belongs to God. Now, I said at the beginning of all this that perhaps the best thing for Christians to do in the wake of suffering is to say nothing at all. As I worked on this sermon this week and even now standing up before you and preaching it, I'm wondering if I should have heeded some of my own advice. Because no matter what we say, it never hints the mark we're hoping for. Just imagine in your heads, if you can, for a second, imagine someone, a friend, coworker, neighbor, doesn't really matter who, someone you know. And imagine they've gone through a terrible ordeal. Their house is burned down or they got in a car accident and somebody died. Or It doesn't matter what the thing is. Just imagine somebody in your head that you know and imagine they've gone through something horrible. Now imagine you're seeing them for the first time after they've gone through their tragedy. You're seeing them for the first time and you want to help them. You want to comfort them. You want to provide meaning in the midst of all this. And you say something. You say something like, well, perhaps God just wanted another little angel in heaven. Or you say something like, God is just trying to remind you to be grateful for the things you do have. Or you say something like, everything happens for a reason. Friends, that is not what we do. That accomplishes absolutely nothing. Actually, that's not true. It does accomplish something. It makes things worse. No parent should be told in the wake of their child dying that everything happens for a reason. No child having to bury their parent in the ground should be told everything happens for a reason. That is simply hurtful. If we believe that it would be cruel and unfaithful to say something in the moment of someone else's suffering like that, then we ought never to say them at all. God does not delight in our deaths. God does not rejoice in our sorrow. God is not the secret architect of evil. God does not rain down suffering as a test for his creation. Instead, God conquers death. God weeps when we weep. And God will always be with us. So that leads us here to the end. It leads us to the end of the question of why do bad things happen to good people? The best thing we can do is say nothing, is to just show up and be there for people who are suffering. But if silence won't cut it for us, well, then the least we can do is follow the example of Jesus and rage against the injustice of the world to lift up our clenched fist to the sky and then get down there in the ditch with the people who need us most. That's it. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. You were here with us last week. You will notice that our sanctuary looks different. All of the Christmas decorations, all the Advent decorations have been taken down. We're now out of the Christmas season. We're in Epiphany. It's a different kind of season in the life of the church. The Christmas tree is gone. The lights and the rail are all gone. Uh, gratitude. I want to express it to those who came. I'm proud to help take everything down, put it away. But I hope you also notice uh, this white cross that's up here on top of our wood cross. Uh, somebody at the 830 service said, oh, I feel really bad. I feel like that was up there forever, and I noticed it for the first time today. No, this, it's up there for the first time today. 
this white wooden cross on top of the wooden cross is the first cross this church ever had. Uh, our church was founded 60 years ago, and it started meeting in a farmhouse. Uh, and there was a man who showed up that first Sunday. He walked in. He saw an altar. He saw a Bible, but he didn't see a cross anywhere. So he got back in his car, he went home, he grabbed some scrap wood out of his garage, and he made this cross, and he brought it back and said, hey, we can't be a church unless we have a cross. The son of that man found the cross and brought it to me a couple months ago. And he said, it belongs at the church. So I put it on top of our cross. And I did it because I think it looks nice, but I also did it because I want this to stand as a reminder to all of us. That for 60 years, at least in this place, people have brought their burdens to the Lord. People have experienced tragedy and suffering and have come to rely on the people in the pews around them to help them through the midst of something unknowable. That we, whenever we gather here at this table, we, we do so in the shadow of the cross of the great number of people who have come before us with their questions, with their suffering, knowing that God could bring them peace. When I was working at that hospital, one of the other things I had to do was uh, work in a local church and visit people who wanted to be visited by someone in the ministry. And every week I'd get an email from the pastor with a list of names and addresses. Please go visit this person. And that was it. I'd just get in the car and I'd drive to somebody's house and knock on the door and I'd visit them. Only one time did I get a name with any instruction. I said, we want you to this nursing home to visit this woman, but we want you to bring her communion. We want you to know that she's having the most difficult lives of anyone we've ever known. That every part of her life has just been suffering, upon suffering, upon suffering. So I went to church, I grabbed a little bread, I grabbed some grape juice, and I drove over to the nursing home. And I met the woman, we sat down together, and we talked, and she told me about her life, and we prayed together. And I grabbed the bread and the cup, and I said, this is God's body for you. And I offered it to her, and she didn't take it. So I thought for a second, maybe I wasn't being loud enough. So I said, this is God's body for you. And still, she didn't take it. And I said, is something wrong? And she said, oh, did no one tell you? I'm paralyzed. I can't feel anything from my neck down. You're going to have to dip it in the cup for me. So I took the bread, I dipped it in the cup, and I placed it into her mouth. She chewed and she swallowed. She said, that's the first time I've had communion in 10 years. Because no one's brought it to me. Can you imagine? That kind of suffering. You know, that kind of tragedy, that being so resigned to a place far away, not being visited, not being cared for, just wanting one thing, and having to wait until some poor schmuck of a pastor shows up one day with bread and juice. One of the reminders about this question about good things and bad people and bad things and good people is that it's not just about what's going on in Australia. It's not just about what's going on in Puerto Rico. Every single one of us is going through something. Or we've gone through something we're still dealing with. We've lost someone we've loved. We lost, we've lost part of our life that we once loved. We're afraid about everybody that's here is carrying something with them. I don't matter, I don't care how good you think your life is, it's not perfect. I mean, we're all really good at putting on a mask for an hour on Sunday, making sure our kids look nice, that they're behaving up in the nursery, because mine is definitely not like an streaming. <laughs> Every one of us is carrying something. And the point of church is to find relief. Is to be in community with people who can help carry our burdens with us. Help us get to the other side so that one day we can help pick up somebody else's burdens. That's what the table's about. 
what church is about. It's what faith is about. It's not pull yourself up, get through it, be better. It's about you're not going to be able to do it on your own. But I'm going to give you some people who can help you along the way. I've told too many stories today. I'll tell them one more, and then we're going to eat. There's a man. He's walking along the road. He falls into a ditch. And the ditch is so deep in the ground, and the walls are so steep that he can't climb out. And he's trying. He's crawling at the walls. He's trying to get out. He can't do it. And all of a sudden, a doctor comes by. He says, hey, I'm done. Can you help me? The doctor says, sure. And he writes a prescription on a piece of paper. He throws it down in the ditch, and he keeps walking. Man, he's crying out, somebody please help me, somebody please help me. <coughs> a preacher comes by. Son, what can I do for you? Help me, I'm stuck down here in this hole. The preacher says, well, son, don't you know God helps those who help themselves? So help yourself. <laughs> the guy keeps screaming out, somebody please help me, and a friend comes by. And the friend sees and says, hey, I'm stuck down here, can you help me? And the friend jumps down into the ditch. And he says, you idiot. Now we're both stuck down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before. I know the way out. That's the church. That's it. So let's pray. Lord, we confess that we find ourselves in the ditch, not knowing what tomorrow will bring, worried about the past. We come to you with our burdens. And we're not sure what to do with them. So remind us today, O oh Lord, that we come and we lay them at the altar. That we grab hold of one another and help each other through this thing we call life. And do whatever we can to bear each other. Just like your son bore us on his cross. Help us to see that this is the good news of the church. That no one is alone. And all God's people say, as people who have gathered together, it is good for us to be here, but even better for us to stand as we are able and to remind one another that no one is alone. So go, share signs of love and peace with those who are here. <laughs>